Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. Let's pray before we get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We thank you, Father, Lord. We lift your name up. We worship you, Father. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your love to us. We thank you, Father, for bringing us into your marvelous light, Father, Lord, when we are lost in darkness. We thank you, Father, Lord, that this is only a, a work that only your Holy Spirit could accomplish. And so we are humble in, uh, in the way that you grant us to be humble. Um, and we look forward to the day we get to spend eternity with you, Lord. But we thank you right now, Father, Lord, for the bearing of fruit that comes out of us seeing you right now as we're on this earth right now. And as we look towards eternity, Father, Lord, I just pray for this word today. Um, I believe it is a timely, timely message, not only for our church, but for every single church. And I just pray, Father, Lord, that you would give me the grace to be able to preach it and communicate it well, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I am about to get into a whole lot of scripture this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles or your iPhones or your droids, whatever you do, go ahead and pull it out. Um, today we're going to be talking about sharing and suffering. And uh, I just want to make sure that y'all really, really get this. So I'm going to read more word than any, anything and add a little bit of commentary to it. But um, I'm really excited about this sermon. All right. One of the ways that we find unity inside of God's church is obviously the blood of Jesus, right? It's the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus makes us family. It makes us brothers and sisters, right? We, we are grafted into his family as his children because he died on the cross for our sins. And the Bible, it's actually, it's actually biblical that it says that we are brothers and sisters. That's scripture. So as a church, we need to start digesting that if we don't believe that. But that's actual scriptures, right? You don't have to like the person next to you. Um, you don't have to think they're cool. Um, they could even have a little bit of older, you know? They could be a little, you know, a little whatever, you know? It doesn't matter whatever it is. Whatever your thing is that you just don't like about somebody, it means nothing when it comes to the blood of Jesus grafting us in his family. I have real brothers and sisters I can't stand sometimes, but they're still my brothers and sisters, right? So that's one of the things that unifies us as the church. The other thing that we're going to be talking about today that unifies us as, as a church, and I think is one of the most neglected topics in the church, and actually one of the main stumbling blocks for the church, for the American church, and probably for any church, is this idea of sharing and suffering, right? So the Bible calls us to share in suffering. God calls us to share in suffering. And it's all throughout the scriptures. It is an essential part of our, our identity as believers. And so today I just want to make this case to you and I want you to understand how important it is that you digest it and take it on in your walk. Because um, I'm not even sure you can actually have a walk without suffering. Because if you are being led by the Spirit of God, He will always lead you into suffering. But you will see by the end of the day, uh, by the end of this, this sermon, that when He leads you into suffering, it's always glorious. So it's just not, woe is me, it's this beautiful thing where we find Jesus in suffering. 
and it's a part of his plan. All right, so y'all ready? All right, hold on real quick. I don't want y'all to hear the... Y'all don't want to hear all that. I should have let y'all share in suffering on that right there, but... Uh, all right, 2 Timothy 2. This is what we hit last week, right? I'm going to recap this with you because I want you to be holding on to this as we work through the sermon. Um, um, Paul says this to Timothy from a jail cell. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's one imperative he gives them. And he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, he says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes, competes according to the rules, right? So let's get into this real quick. So sharing and suffering, right? What does that even mean? I think the first thing we need to know is that suffering is a part of God's grand plan, all right? Acts 9.15 says this. This is actually when uh, Paul is converted and, and uh, I forgot who it was, but another believer is looking, you know, he's t- God is talking to him, and he's like, man, this Paul dude, I heard homies out here killing Christians, now you're telling me to go run up on him and go talk to him, and I'm kind of feeling the way about it. And God is like, he says this, he says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So God has a predestined plan rooted in all of our callings to the faith. And just as suffering was key for Paul, it's going to be key for us, all right? Let me read to you. We're going to go to 1 Peter 4. Listen to how this starts, all right? Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So listen to this right here. What he's talking about is this inner war, and he's pointing to Christ, right? He's talking about this inner war that happens inside of us. So when he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ in 2 Timothy 2, it's not only the outward war of what we see going on in the world, but he's actually talking about sharing the suffering of warring against yourself, right? Because yourself, this flesh, the nature of it is sin. It hates God. It wars against the spirit of God. So he's saying... Take this on just as Christ did, because here's the thing. Christ walked the earth, and he had flesh on him. He became a man, right? Right? Y'all agree with that? But he didn't just, it wasn't that he walked the earth, and he just was like, yo, I'm God, man. Like, this stuff ain't, you know, whatever. He wasn't in a bubble. His flesh felt every mockery, every temptation, every, every lash he took on the cross. He felt it all, and he overcame it. By walking in the spirit, right? By sharing in suffering. So he suffered through us, through it for us, right? Not only did he overcome on the cross and defeat death, but he was actually defeating it every single day. 
So when it says, arm yourselves, and you got to remember, they're talking like, this ain't a game. This is military talk. This is we going to war talk. Arm yourselves. Brothers, and we, you know, we do. Arm yourselves. That's a nine millimeter if you ain't know. All right. All right. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Put on this mind, right? If you go back to 2 Timothy 2, let's talk about how do you arm yourselves. He says, be strengthening be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We talked about it last week. That means that you're constantly rehearsing the cross, right? The cross, the grace, the mercy, the sacrifice, this holy king leaving his throne, coming to die for his enemies. Coming to die for his enemies. It all ties together because as you are rehearsing that, when you're getting spit on, kicked in your face and everything else, when you're lavished by the grace and mercy of God, you won't go to arrest people who are your enemies and oppose you. You'll lavish them with the love that you've actually received, right? So there's this big thing, this big play God has going on. Keep up close with me or whatever because I'm going to be all over the place today because this is so amazing. It's hard for me to stay on topic with it, right? So you strengthen yourself in the grace that's in Jesus Christ, but you also accept this call to suffer. So when it's saying that arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, it's saying believers. If you're going to give the word credibility, if you're going to actually believe what God is saying, it's saying that as your identity, you wake up every day actually understanding that you are called to suffer. That you don't wake up in the morning and walk around like, I don't know why this and this is happening or whatever this and that. Or even when you wake up next to your spouse and they're getting on your nerves and you want to choke them that day. Right? You overcome that situation by, by suffering. You suffering them. Maybe they're having a weak moment that day. But you suffer them that day and lavish them with the love and the grace that you strengthen yourself in that we're told to do in 2 Timothy. Right? Because God is not, he, he's, he's not lost in the sauce or naive at all. He knows what's coming. All right? Maybe some of us go to the altar and we think everything's going to be all sweet. But anybody that's married in here knows what time it is. If you're going to get old and sit in the rocking chair on the porch with you and your wife, you're going to go to war to get there. It just is what it is. All right? 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. It's required him de denying his flesh every day. Right? Here's something you got to know about yourself. To even digest the idea of stepping into this suffering in the flesh, first you have to deal with, is the word true when it says our flesh is wicked? You have to believe that. And most believers, and one of the main problems in the church, our self-righteousness, we can't even get through a disagreement or nobody can say, hey, brother, you hurt me on this. Because people are like, how could I ever hurt you? I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. I don't hurt anybody. <laughs> Shut up. Yes, you do. We all do. We hurt each other. We do it. Right? Man, I sit inside of meetings with Jeremy all the time and everything else, and we say comments that are actually offensive, even racially offensive. And I go home, and sometimes I grieve about it. And I go, yo, Jeremy, I made that comment earlier. That, bro, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. But guess what? I'm not making that call if I walk around like, I don't do that. Yeah, I do do that. Because I have flesh and the flesh is wicked. So we have to start right there. The flesh is wicked and it opposes the things of God. It's at war with the things of God. So 
You're not stepping in the suffering if you're naive about that, the fact of that. You understand what I'm saying? So you got to digest and swallow that hole straight off the bat. And here's the thing. Our flesh, the sin, is rooted in wanting to be God. It wants to be king, right? It wants to be king. So what's crazy about it is God says, if you exalt yourself, I'll humble you, but I, I'll humble you, but if you humble yourself, I'll exalt you. So there's this thing that happens even when you follow God where God will lift you up. And then it, and then it, it puts this whole dance into place because when he lifts you up, it's not for you to be lifted up. It's for you to actually lift them up again. Do you get where I'm coming from? So you actually keep, you're denying yourself by pointing to him. My friends from back in the day, I have this big, I, this is my biggest problem with, my, with some of my older friends. They was with me on scumbag mode. They know the grimy stuff we did that I'll never even tell y'all because it's not even fitting for an example. But they was there for it. So when they see me, they go, man, Jay. I can't believe, man, like, bro, like, you, you've changed, and it's amazing, and this and that. And they try to point like it's actually me. And so in that moment, I could wallow in it like, man, you know what I'm saying? Look at the brother, dog. You know what I'm saying? I'm just doing my thing out here, man. Just out here, you know, making it work, man, trying to save the world. I could do that. Or I could take that moment to completely beat that to nothing and point to the, to the real king of the story, the one who actually saved me, Right? Who, who comes and saves transgressors that ain't even looking for him, right, because of his marvelous plan, and who I have to still depend on every single day to even eke out a good work that gives glory to God and not to myself. Get where I'm coming from? So sharing the suffering is you denying your own flesh. You feel me? That goes on every level. I mean, if you're single, if you're single in here or whatever, and you're like, oh, my God, when's my boo coming? When they coming? I'm out here looking where they at. You know what I mean? If, that, if that's what that is for you, I know it's hard, but you have to deny your flesh and keep your focus on God, right? And, 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 and keep waiting in expectation, all right? Denying your flesh. Romans 8, 5 says this. It says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, listen to this right here, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So arm yourself with the willingness to suffer for the glory of God. That's what I'm telling you. Arm yourself with it. It is actually a weapon in this war that we are in. It's this willingness to suffer. I, just where I've went this far scripturally, you can only imagine what kind of damage this does not being unified on this one thing alone inside of the church. All manners of evil come out of this right here, out of us not being willing to suffer, right, and sharing suffering, all right? Slander, disagreements, arguments, divisions, all of that, right, comes out of that. Verse 4, with respect 
to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, that they, that they, uh, and they will malign you. So he's basically saying your willingness to suffer in the flesh will result in holiness and people will attack you for it. Go ahead and gird up and get ready for that, right? Says Number five says this, but they will account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Here's the thing, too. I just want to stop real quick. I'm going to jump back to 2 Timothy 2. And what I started with, it says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The reason I'm jumping back there, because when you start reading imperatives to people and stuff, they start going, oh, let me write down my list so I can get it all right and be the good soldier of Christ. This is all, it's a, you can't do this without the power of God. You can't do it by actually not becoming intoxicated with the grace and goodness of God, right? It's like this right here. You can have an arranged marriage. Some people do that and some people it works for it. But let's just play with it, right? Somebody tells you to love somebody and follow them to the ends of the earth. You're not going um, to be okay with doing that if you don't really love them, Right? It's the same thing when it goes with the gospel, right? When you are seeing Christ, the Bible says we are being transformed. And when you are seeing Christ and he is calling you into this infantry, it's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Point. So you don't, you don't see this as a way, you don't see these lines as a way to earn his love, right? You already have the love. You just hear you just here for the Father. Lord, what we, what we do? Where we headed at? You know what I'm saying? Where the battle at? Put me in the game, all right? I just want you to get that because I don't want you trying to work this out in your flesh, all right? So, seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, now listen to this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Try doing that, loving people who sin against you. Nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Try that. Ten, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Listen to how he's talking about the responsibility in this. We have a gift. Our flesh is prone to say, yo, I know how to do this. I'm about to get this money. I'm about to go get the paper. You know what I'm saying? I'm gifted. I'm talented. Everybody just keeps telling me how awesome I am. I'm about to go run and get this money. But he's saying, serve one another as good steward of God's very grace, right? With whatever your gift is. And he says, 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Peter's talking to soldiers. He's talking to people who are submitted to the will of God. And all of these statements are consciously made with the understanding that the flesh is at war with the will of God. Right? That's why he says, do this without grumbling. Because your natural inclination is to grumble. 
because you're made of flesh. It's what we do. We can, we can try to do stuff in self-righteousness, but the sweet, the sweet talk is only lasts for so long. If any of us hang with each other long enough, we're going to be ready to kill each other unless God empowers us to continue in love, right? I love my wife. But some days, it gets hard, all right? I'm sorry, Ben. I'm just playing with you. Galatians says, bear one another's burdens, right? That's what God is calling us into. Verse 12 says this. It says, beloved, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Now listen to verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In the middle of suffering, there is this release and revelation that is waiting on us, like for God to show him himself, all right? Verse 14 says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely, scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And the verse 19 says this right here. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That statement at the end is so important right there when it comes to suffering because we suffer according to God's will. Paul said a good soldier aims to please the one who enlisted him, right? And an athlete competes according to the rules. When it comes to suffering, that suffering is like this right here. Like, if you have kids in here, like a couple of kids, you usually get one in the batch that just like can't stand rules. Like, it doesn't matter or whatever. Like, it could be to help them and they just like, they don't, like I was that kid, you know what I'm saying? It's just like... They're just rebellious. It's like, hey, don't touch that because it's on fire. It's like, oh, oh, you think you can control me? <laughs> huh? Like, fire hurts me? What? Like, <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And then the next day, they're back on it again. You know what I mean? Our flesh is at war with the will of God, plain and simple. So, so, so sharing in the suffering and obedience, it, it, it always equates to you denying yourself, right? God has a way that this happens. He has rules, right? He has rules, and it's, it's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. This is how he's actually, this is how he's quarterback in the game, right? He enlisted us into the army, and he, he got the whole field covered, all right? And he's like, this is how it rolls. So that killing that flesh is trusting him. Arm yourselves with the willing to suffer, church. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, For this you recall, because Christ also suffered for us. Listen to that. For this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Christ is our marvelous, marvelous, pure, and perfect example. 
example because he didn't move out of the parameter of not having flesh on him. Like he understands when the Bible says that he makes prayers on our behalf, right? That he stands in the gap for us. It's because he gets it. He gets it. So, so definitely, yeah, we go before the Father with our prayers, right? And we look at the example and we, 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 we wallow in the grace of the cross, right? Because he gets it. Who else is going to give it? There's never been a perfect being ever walked this earth. He's the perfect sacrifice, right? The son of God. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. I'm the king of threatening, the king of it. Somebody cut me off yesterday, and I was in the car with my wife or whatever. It's so sinful. And, like, she's always telling me, like, Jay, don't look over in the car. Don't look over there, right? And it's so bad. So when I get by them or whatever, I was like, babe, just glance over. <laughs> see if we got a situation. I wasn't in a good mood, man. I wasn't in a good mood. It was sinful. I know it, but I was like, just, she's like, you want me? I'm, I'm like, you told me not to glance, so you do the glance. We, we got to know if something's popping real quick, you know? I ain't really feel how they just did that, you know? Sinful, wretched. The power of God. I bet you if my mind would have been on the cross at the moment, I wouldn't even thought about glancing over there. I would have blew them a kiss. And I'm being serious. I'm not joking. How foolish. How foolish. King of kings dying for me in my wretchedness. And I want to jump on somebody because they cut me off in traffic. Am I out of my mind? Yes, I am. And that's what I'm talking about. The flesh is wicked. So wallow in the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ and prepare your mind to take on the willingness to suffer. But do not try to do that thing without keeping your eyes on the cross, right? So let's just talk about how beneficial it is to suffer, all right? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 8 says this, This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal, all right? So suffering is producing something for us e eternal. Our present suffering is actually registering in the eternal, right? And it's producing joy, right? So where's Jeremy at? Shirk Dog. Where's Shirk Dog at? He's hiding somewhere. All right, I'm about to tell his story anyway. I didn't ask him. Let me just give you a glimpse of how the now, the suffering in the now registers in the eternal, right? So Jeremy told me this story the other day or whatever where like, when he was younger, he invested this large sum of money into this company. And what was funny is that I did the same exact thing, too, to a different company or whatever, right? And so it was a large sum of money for us, like, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and we just were in these circumstances, and one of Jeremy's friends did it also, right? And so um, he was just telling me how, Jeremy, I'm telling you a story about the investment. Can I do that? Yeah. All right, all right. Anyway, so $10,000 investment, right? And so, <coughs> so what, what, what was funny about it is that, like, everything with the whole thing was, like, going through. You know what I'm saying? It's like all the checkpoints, like, oh, my God, this is about to happen. And it's going to be worth, like, 
a dumb amount of millions, right? And it's like, oh my God, the return on this is going to be crazy. And so what we're talking about, Jeremy was saying that his friend did the same thing. And so, like, who's it? What, Kyle in the building? What up, brother? What's going on? <laughs> and, so, and so he was saying how, you know what I'm saying, like, before the money came, they would just be on the phone, like, they just call each other, like, ah, what's up? You good? I'm going to get you back. Just laughing, just stupid, because they're like, yo, the money's coming. You get what I'm saying? So they just like, like on it, like, you know what I'm saying? And so, man, they ain't even have it yet. But like, yo, they looking forward to the prize. You get what I'm saying? They looking forward to the prize. I had the same type of situation where I went in on this video game company and I was just like, you know what I'm saying? I remember like, I think we were out of town traveling when I, sit, when I sent, uh, submitted my papers or whatever. So I'm coming through the airport like, you know what I'm saying? Like. Like, get out the way, you peasants. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, boy, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm just like, pride is through the roof. But I'm in, expect, I'm in expectation, though. I'm thinking the check is coming. You know what I'm saying? And the comp- company went belly up. You know what I mean? Belly up. You know, my wife still, she's still on um, anyway. So, but that's what it is, though. That's what it is. This, if we hyped over a little bit of, a little bit of money, eternity with the king? What's suffering right now going to do? This present suffering versus this eternity with the king? What? We should be walking around like, yo, what's up, dog? Chilling. I crashed your car. It's all good, brother. It's all good, man. You can be flying in a minute, dog. Don't care about that, whatever. But it does have real practical implications when, you, when, you, when you're in that, where you forgive quick. You love hard. You get smacked in the face. You're endurance for long suffering, right? Think about it, all the fruits of the Spirit and all that good stuff. Joy. Joy is it's in the midst of suffering. That's what we take out. We think it means like please yourself and then you have joy and you have all these things. Nah, long suffering, homie. That means endurance while you are suffering. Patience. It means you have a reason to, to be impatient. I mean, man, we work with these kids all the time or whatever, and I'll be like, you know, man, they're just talking to me, and they're like, yeah, we're having great conversations. And then I go on Facebook, and they be like, all your whole crew could die bullets and everybody heads, whatever. Come see me if you got a problem. And I'd just be like, I was just talking to this kid about Jesus. I, I swear he had a tear in his eye. I swear, I thought, I just came home, told my wife, the Lord had convicted his heart and God is doing, and now he's online with guns like I'm gonna blow somebody's head off. This is real deal. This is when long suffering is necessary. This is when Patience. This is when I have to find my center in the gospel to continue to lavish the love I've received back on somebody else. But man, what a sweet battle to be in, though. What a sweet army to be in, right? His faith is proven. Let's keep on talking about how amazing he is, right? He is, his, 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 he is proven faithful, right? 
1 Peter 4, we just said it earlier. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It builds our faith. It builds our courage. It builds our bravery, right? It builds our testimony and his, right? We know him. He keeps proving himself, right? You may come out there like this right here at first. The next time you like me in the airport, like, what is that? Not because you got it together, because you like, you haven't been here before. And God done been here before, and he keeps coming through every time. So why am I going to keep on tiptoeing like he ain't God, right? Why, why, why? Paul says in the, in the first part of 10, he says, he hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love, right? So why are we acting like he keeps doing it over and over? Prepare to share in suffering, right? 2 Corinthians 1.4 says this, that God comforts us all in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In our suffering, as we experience the comforting of God, we are getting filthy rich to go lavish it on people in the middle of this war. Do you understand what I'm saying? As we experience his grace... In his power, as we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm going to read that to you in a minute, and you're going to hear David talk about how amazing he is while acknowledging that he's in the valley of the shadow of death. We're getting rich in that, and we get to take it and lavish it back on people. With what we're, that's a, Watch, come on. All right. He is revealed. John Piper says this. says, God has special revelations of his glory for his suffering children. For his suffering children. Christ's suffering was the road to glory, redemption for mankind. And suffering as Christ did, we will have intimacy and a foreshadowing of the glory to come when we will be forever held in his marvelous glory, right? It's that anticipation. It's that anticipation. We get to experience now. We get the taste of his goodness right now. And it's just a foreshadowing of what it's going to be. It's just a foreshadowing. We get to laugh, get on the phone. I'm telling you like this right here, right? When my wife goes away sometimes, she goes on trips. Man, I'm like, first, first day I'm like, all right, got a little freedom or whatever, chill or whatever. Meet the fellas, hang out. Second day I be at the crib kind of depressed or whatever, walk around like, you know, this and that. Third day. But I got a pajamas laying next to me, just like, you know, just like next to me, like, yo, where she at? I don't care, function. Like, I'm like, I can't get my shoes tied and everything's going to nothing, right? But man, that, that anticipation for her arrival, it's crazy. It's crazy. I'm just trying to give you a practical example of how this, how in this suffering, it builds this anticipation for Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, all right? And then as you walk in the light, because we did say this is about flesh versus spirit, right? So the spirit calls you into the light, right? And the flesh hides itself and tries to be God and doesn't want to confess to anything. But as you walk into the light, when the Bible says his mercies are made new each day, every morning, you get to experience that for real. You get to experience that. Being led by the Spirit and experience His mercy, you get to know Him in that, right? And you get to find your true purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 says this. says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Listen to this right here. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How are you going to appreciate what you're called to do if you don't know the person who created you to do it? It doesn't even work. You can't find any fulfillment. You're just a wandering ship in the water or whatever with no direction. You were created for a purpose. You're not in this room for no reason, all right? Psalms 23. Let me take you through this really quick. Listen to David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So this is just crazy right here. So he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's talking about green pastures and still waters. Man, the valley of death is the sweet spot. Right? You run to the valley of death to get to the green pastures. If you run to the green pastures, you're going to end up in the valley of death. You get where I'm coming from? I'm just telling you. We're called to suffer. There's no way around this. All right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's knowing the shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's making emphatic statements about knowing who God is and knowing his goodness and his mercy. And he's experiencing that inside of the valley of the shadow of death. And most of us know a lot about David's life. So we know when he's saying that he's walking through the valley of shadow of death, that, that may be a little bit of an understatement for some of the stuff that he's been through. But he is still marveling and rejoicing in the fact of knowing God's goodness in the midst of suffering. All right. I'm going to read something to you really quick. And um, I just threw this on here. And it's Isaiah 58. It's pretty long, but I'm going to read through it really quick. And I don't know. We're just going to see what God does with it. Y'all ready? Got your ears on real quick? Just context-wise, let me just tell you. So um, God is speaking through the prophet, and he is talking to Israel. I just want you to understand the context of that and understand that. Um, And so it is speaking to a very particular moment in history, but you will find that the heart of God in this is very much relevant to this day, right? And I just want you to hear God's character in it and what he's saying. He says, is, this not, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up, spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your miss, now listen to this, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. And then verse 10, he says, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. This right here, 
just this statement right here, the pointing of the finger and the speaking and speaking wickedness contrasted with if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. We just read the scripture about us being comforted in our afflictions and lavishing people with the comfort that we've received, right? This to me right here is, is where we're at in society and also the church. We do this thing. We don't engage in the war, right? And we're not cool with sharing with sufferings. We're completely, which is our identity in Christ. And so when he says the pointing of the, the finger and, the speak, and speaking wickedness, we actually spend more time dissecting situations, commenting about them, walking around, drunk in our opinions, dealing with the strife of those opinions, slander, hatred oozing out of us, right? But that's not what he asked us to do. As a matter of fact, he's telling them to shut up. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. I told you last week. I could barely get through the week because of something that just grieved me in my heart so bad. And so much evil came out of my mouth concerning it. I had to go before God and repent. I'm called to share in suffering. If I would have been approaching this situation in that sense, I would have spent my time doing the pointing of the finger and speaking speaking wickedness. When my job is to pour myself out, right? A sinner is a lost person. Or you could just call them a hungry person. And if you feel like I'm taking out of context, say what you want to. Starving. They're afflicted in their sin, right? God has not called us to carnally stand with the world and shake our fingers at everybody else. He's calling you to lay down your life and share in suffering. This is the great stumbling block of the church right now. This this not being an essential part of our identity like, I don't know how we mix this in Gospel 101, but that, this is it. This is it. We are called to share in suffering, and that is just that. Verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. What? Scorched places? I thought we run from, all, from the heat. He's saying run into the battle, sharing the suffering. Nobody else is going to do it. They're going to be on the sideline pointing fingers, talking about, you know what? I say this every time. This is the Good Samaritan story. It's just a a perfect example. That's why I always use it. This is the Good Samaritan story. We'll stand across the street and we'll talk about why you're on the floor over there and come up with stuff and make up sermons about, look what happens to the people over there and this and that. The, the, by the way, those were, that's a Levite, and that was a priest who decided to walk around my man on the ground over there. But the good Samaritan is over there laying his life, pouring himself out, pouring his time, his finances, his schedule, all of that out. Pays the innkeeper, hold my man right there, make sure you take care of him, I'll be back if I owe you more money, I got you. You see the difference? See the difference between a person looking to share and suffering? He could have stood on the sub like, you know, he probably did that to himself. We all did it to ourselves. 
And if God went off and we did it to ourselves, then we never, ever, ever would have experienced the life-giving work of the cross. That's it. You take yourself out of the game when you do it like that, right? Take yourself out of the game because that's what the cross is. It's him lavishing mercy and grace on us and forgiveness that we don't deserve. He empowers us to repent. You don't own that. He, he gives sight to the blind. We don't own that. We don't get to walk around like, I see straight. Everybody else is blind. Nah, that's that thing where you have to put yourself down and lift them up. None of us is here on our own accord. And make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I'm in with this in a second. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom, to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is talking to believers right here. That's the context of that scripture. And what he's saying to them is, get out of fantasy land. Wake up. And see it for what it is. Because if you open your eyes and see it for what it is, your heart will break at what's really happening. When you get off the side of pointing a finger and speaking wickedness about it or whatever, you will see you're actually pointing at yourself. You're what's wrong with the world. You're what's wrong with the world. You're the reason it's like that. We will not stand before God and be found innocent. The only way that is going to happen is if you have been called into his marvelous light and it will be on the cord, it will be on the accord that he says you are innocent because of the blood of Jesus. That's what it's all about. There's, there's no other story in this thing or whatever. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. So James is hitting them. Like, right? He, you would think he'd be saying, you wretched, low down, scum, like flee, get out or whatever. He's calling them to walk in the light. How can he declare something like that? He just talked about how they murder a couple, couple scriptures before this. Like He goes, you're mad because you don't have what you want, and you murder, and all these sins are reeking out of you, and he's still calling them to repentance because he knows God's mercy and grace runs that deep because he's like, I'm actually you. Your life will change when you start looking at the people you can't stand in the society and realize you're looking yourself right in the face. All right? Be brave enough to ask God to show you you. It'll, it'll wreck your head up. I'm going to end this with this real quick. <clears throat> I don't know where I just got wreck your head up. I just made that up in the head. Whatever. All right? All right. James 1. I'm going to end this with this. This is actually an encouragement. This is an encouragement to the church. It's an encouragement to the church because I want you to take what just was preached seriously. Take it home and, 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 and uh, lay before the Lord with it. James 1 says this right here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit orphans, widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I just want to leave you with that. Do not take this word lightly. It's nothing to play with at all. It's nothing to play with at all. This is essential for our church, not only for our church, for all churches, that we are unified in sharing in the gospel. Because a, a church that is unified, that is, that is tied together by the blood of Jesus Christ and unified in sharing and suffering will be a church that will rock the whole city to the ground. All right? Because what people don't see is people laying their life on the line these days. All right? I see a million people get grants and all type of money to talk about a problem, but ain't too many of them willing to actually go stand in the problem. You get where I'm coming from? I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. There's people out there laying their life on the line. But I'm just saying, God, the church, God, God is displaying his glory through a church that is willing to die to themselves. But the, the, the sweet thing is we get to see him even more. It's a beautiful thing. It's not something to run from. It's something to run to.